Thank you all for being here today. It's good to see you and to be back with you. Mickey and I were at her family reunion in Wichita last Sunday. We worshiped at Calvary United Methodist Church in Wichita, Kansas, and they had had a music camp, and so the children were doing a musical that morning in worship, and it was delightful. It's one that I think has been done here, David tells me, in days past. It was a story of Queen Esther, and it was called Malice in the Palace, and it was a It was a lot of fun, and uh, we're going to be talking about the story of Esther here on Sunday morning in a few weeks, and if you've not read it recently, I hope hope you'll take a look at it. But it is good to see you and to be back with you, and we will continue the series. I started two weeks ago out of the lectionary pretty closely, John's Gospel, Chapter 6. Remember, we said there are 71 verses in that chapter, which is one of the lengthier chapters in the Bible. So we're going to take four Sundays to deal with that. This will be the second Sunday and then the next two. So today, we begin with John chapter 6 and verse 22. John 6, 22. And I would ask you to please stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. They also saw that Jesus had not got into the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Then some from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread, always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you. Ran across this statement recently in an article, and I'll begin by sharing with you. The writer said, most Americans are very confused about their personal morals right now. And then the article concludes, there's absolutely no consensus. So what do we do? We being the church, we being Christian folks who care, who are concerned about these trends and are concerned about the impact that they are having on us and children and grandchildren and for some of you, great-grandchildren as well. Do we become more vocal about what's right and what's wrong? 
more vocal about sin or brokenness and its consequences in our world? Should we harangue and harass those whose apparent indiscretions are different from ours or whose indiscretions offend us? Or is it possible to direct our ire and our anger and our judgment toward others without assuming a self-righteous posture ourselves? It seems to me anyway, thinking back a few decades to the moral majority movement of the 1980s, and this is just my opinion, that oftentimes that movement assumes such a position of being self-righteous and judgmental in their pronouncements and proclamations they frequently resembled or they appeared that way to me anyway the fellow that Jesus talked about in the story you remember the one who stood up in the temple and said Lord I thank you that I'm not like other folks and then he started pointing out the sins of everybody else conveniently overlooking the sin in his own life so easy to do Lord we thank you we're not like those people Does this mean then that we lower or eliminate all of our standards of morality that we believe to be scripturally based and in accordance with the will of God? And the answer is no, absolutely not. But maybe it does mean that instead of fussing and fuming and passing judgment on those folk who are caught up in lifestyles of which we do not approve, that we simply need to tell them two things. Number one, they're hungry. And number two, we need to tell them where, or better yet, who the bread is. In the gospel lesson for today, the crowd that's been following Jesus around, looking for him again, they've been following him around, expecting more from him. Many of them were in boats crossing the sea way to Capernaum, assuming that Jesus was still there. This is the crowd that had been following him because of the signs and wonders that he had been performing. They thought, this is quite a show. This guy's good. Let's follow him around. What else might we see and hear and experience? This is the best thing going. The day before, they had followed him up to a mountaintop where he had gone with the disciples, presumably to rest and to pray. And yes, even Jesus needed some time to rest and certainly to pray. Jesus was the first to see the approaching crowd. And you remember when we talked about some of this a couple of weeks ago, he asked Philip, Philip, how are we going to feed all these folks? Jesus already knew what he was going to do, knew what was going to happen, but he was testing Philip. Philip said, Lord, I don't know. I mean, a year's salary, a half a year's salary. Wouldn't feed all these folks one time? What are we going to do? And then, you know the story. Jesus took the bread and he had given thanks. He distributed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And they took up 12 baskets full of leftovers and they distributed the fish as well. When I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, somebody reminded me of a particular biblical scholar who approached this text by saying that maybe the little boy... You remember the little boy brought his lunch with him. He had the bread and the fish. And Philip said, Lord, there's a little boy here with bread and fish, but what little bit among so many? Perhaps when that little guy shared what he had freely, that other folks 
began to reach down and pull out those things that they had been hoarding and saving back for themselves and their families and to share freely. And first thing you know, everybody had enough to eat. That would have been no minor miracle in itself. But regardless of how Jesus went about it, he fed the folks and they were impressed. And they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. That evening, the disciples went down to the sea. They got in the boat. They headed for Capernaum. And you remember this story, too. We talked about it as well. It was dark, and the wind was blowing, and the waves were coming up. And the sea was rough, and they were afraid. And Jesus came to them three or four miles from shore, walking on the water and coming near the boat. And they saw him, and and fear is always the first reaction. And Jesus said, it's me. Don't be afraid. And they got in the boat, and the way John uses this expression, it's caused folks to think about it a lot. It says, and immediately they were on the shore. How did that happen? This brings us to the beginning of the lesson for today. The crowd is in the boat after the miraculous feeding. The cross in the sea, they're looking for Jesus again to see what else he might have to offer for them or to do for them. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they asked him, teacher, when would you come here? Now, that question was probably chronological and geographical. When did you come here? But it's hard to hear that question with thinking, without thinking about it on a deeper level. What are you doing here, Lord? Why would the Son of Man leave the right hand of God the Father and come to this earth with all the difficulties and all the struggles to walk among us and to teach us and to show us who God is? And how God relates to folk in this world. What are you doing here, Lord? Jesus doesn't answer their question. You might have expected him to say, or I think maybe he said this. He liked to tease folk sometimes. How'd you get here, Lord? He said, well, I just walked over here. What'd you think I'd do, take a boat? But he really doesn't answer their question. Instead, he turns it on them and he charges them with this blind kind of willfulness. You're in it for yourselves, aren't you? You want a sign not of anything more satisfying than your next meal. That's why you follow me over here. You like the bread and the fish. That was good. (laughs) Didn't cost you anything. They are willful and that they want to do the works of God. That is, they want to be in charge of their own lives and their own futures. They don't want someone else in charge. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs pointing to me, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And then he said, don't work for the food that perishes. You eat that, you'll be hungry again. But for the food that endures for eternal life, for what the Son of Man has come to offer you and will give you, for it's him that God the Father has set his seal And they said to him, what must we do to perform the works of God? And when told that the work of God is faith in the one God sent, they still want to be in charge. They still want to see something. They want some proof. They want it made plain. They don't understand that faith sometimes doesn't have the whole picture. Show us a sign. We'll draw our own conclusions and we'll decide what to believe, Lord. Fred Craddock, who was one of my favorite 
teachers and preachers who died a few years ago, said it's not likely that this or any audience can insist upon being in control of their receiving and of their believing and still be open to receiving a message from God, which is God's gift from heaven, the bread of life. The crowd kept on. They brought up the manna in the wilderness with which their ancestors were fed on that long exodus journey from Egypt to the promised land. Jesus said, Whoa, folk, it wasn't Moses who gave you this bread. Let me remind you, it was my Father in heaven who provided this for you. It was not Moses. They said to him, This bread always. I'm sorry, I may have a battery going out or something here. I'll try to stay close. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Earlier in John's gospel, Jesus had pointed Nicodemus beyond birth to birth. And he had pointed the Samaritan woman beyond water to water. And here he was pointing the folks beyond bread to bread. On a deeper level, trying to teach, trying to show them something much more Important. He wants his listeners to, to get that. He wants them to know that it was God who provided for their ancestors in the wilderness. The listeners seem to have an appetite for this true bread which comes until Jesus identifies himself as the bread at the end. They wanted him to be Mary's boy and Joseph's boy. But here he was, the bread of heaven, come down to this world. And they had trouble with that. So in what sense does the writer of John's gospel want us to understand Jesus as the true bread of heaven? It's a little early in this chapter 6 to think about Jesus in terms of Holy Communion and how that bread represents who he is. That's level 1. Level 2 is where we are. That is the bread as the word of God. In other words, Jesus is the life-giving word. John's gospel makes it plain from the beginning. The other gospels start out, stories of Jesus' birth or stories of his ministry. John is so deep theologically and poetically. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, human, and lived among us. Deuteronomy 8.3, he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, which your ancestors did not know, that he might help you to know that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We've heard that before. You remember how Jesus quoted those words when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness? Philo of Alexandria, commenting on this verse, had prior to John's gospel, identified the manna which the people did not know as the wisdom or the word of God, not by bread alone, not by those things that sustain us in this world, those things we work so hard for and worry so much about, not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Such an interpretation of Jesus as a life-giving word from heaven is not only congenial with this gospel's identification of who Jesus is as the word, but with its assumption that the fundamental human appetite, the hunger beneath all hungers, is the hunger for the bread of heaven for the word of God. 
Everything else kind of takes a back seat. No one has ever seen God. How then shall we know this God whom to know is life eternal? Philip said it like this. Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. The only Son from the bosom of the Father has revealed God. God, Jesus not only speaks the word of God, Jesus is the word of God. The word, the bread, which is more than bread. The manna that people don't know. So getting back for just a moment now to where I took off from a while ago. Could it be that one of the leading causes of immorality and destructive, harmful behaviors in this world, in our nation and around this world... Could it be that one of the leading causes is hunger? And I'm talking about a hunger for meaning and a hunger for purpose and a hunger for direction and a hunger for belonging and and being loved. A hunger to feel the vast emptiness inside of folk. A hunger that we have tried to fill with all kinds of junk food that looks so good. And tastes so good, but leaves us so empty and so malnourished. I'm thinking about drugs, legal and illegal, to deaden the pain or to get away from it all. Thinking about broken, illicit relationships. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. Greed. Whatever form it takes, whoever it hurts, to get more money, that we might have more stuff, that our status might rise in this world and we might be somebody. A professional athlete, a celebrity, a successful business person dies from an overdose and we shake our heads and say stuff like, I can't understand it. He or she was making X number of dollars a year. As if X number of dollars or all the dollars on the face of God's earth could ever satisfy that deepest longing in our heart for the things of God and for the bread of heaven. Two questions and then it'll be quitting time, I suppose. Number one, Are you hungry? And number two, do you know someone who is? Evangelism, that's what we do as God's church. We share the good news of Jesus Christ with other folks. And the best definition of evangelism I ever heard is very simple. One beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever believes in me will never hunger. Amen.